All right, welcome. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe it. It's uh, our 10-year anniversary, a decade uh, long. And for me, it, it's a privilege to be here. Um, it's, it's a privilege all the time, I, I think, to speak, uh, to be a pastor, uh, to uh, be a part of this community. You know, and I think even parts of our community, Stepping Stone, they're, they're not here this past month, just so you guys know that we've been having services on campus and just to be a presence on campus, and as we're heading this next weekend, we're having our retreat. And so you could join me in that in prayer uh, this week as we kind of come together. But the 10-year anniversary, I've been thinking a lot and praying, like, what, what is it? You know, and I've been drawn to, you know, the book of John 1, 2, and 3, and, and I titled this one, today's message, Joy in the Church. Joys in the Church, and it's from <clears> Third <throat> John. And we're going to look through that, and, you know, I just realized just how important that is, how important to have this, have joy, and what are some of the experiences of that joy as we, and as we are in a community, as we're part of this, as we're followers of Christ. And <clears throat> today we're going to look at uh, the third book of John, just verses one through eight, and we're just going to read through it. But it really highlights, to me, part of the, the what I experience and what I continue to hope in our church. All right, so we're going to read 3 John verses 1 onwards. <clears throat> the elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling you how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner honor that honors God. It is for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. All right, working together for truth. And today we're going to just look at the joys in the church. And I just highlight three, three of them. There's plenty, but just three in that, that's from this message. The joy of relationships, the joy of faithfulness, and the joy of discipleship. Right? Joy of relationship faithfulness, and discipleship. In the joy of relationship, you see how John writes this, right? The author writes, he says, my dear friend Gaius. You know, I think many of us, we have friends from all, all across, whether we're childhood friends, middle school, high school, whatever, college, after college, work. And I realize that there's, that as I've gotten older, it's harder and harder to make friends sometimes, you know, just by common hobbies, right? Just what we like to do, what we enjoy doing. But there is some highlight of this when he says, my dear, friends, my dear friend Gaius, that he says that whom I love in the truth. You know, one thing that I have experienced over time is that before, before God, before this in the truth, before Jesus and following, followers of him, that I realized there are actually a whole spectrum of friends that I've gotten to know throughout the years, right? Especially the ones that don't have the same hobbies, that don't enjoy the same things, but yet we're drawn together because of Christ, 
We're drawn together because of Christ who has brought us before him and has brought us in a way that we can love one another. That it's no more so much about do I share the same hobby as this person? Do I want to spend this time doing the X, Y, Z? Do we enjoy it? But rather, I just enjoy this person. Just being able to spend time, being able to pray and see how God is speaking and working together in our lives. And it reminds me as I've been speaking at Stepping Stone, and I just shared this as just one of the messages I've heard a long, long time ago of how there's always these three types of relationships in our lives as followers of Christ. There should be always a Paul a person that kind of mentors us, that speaks truth, that we're able to hear truth and, and respond in a way where it's not just offensive, but rather you know that this person loves me, this person cares about me, right? He's, he or she is speaking truth to me, right? Whether it's affirming or whether it's rebuking, but it's, it's in love, right? There should be a Barnabas, Someone that walks with us, that serves with us, that kind of lives life together with us, right? That there's the day-to-day, it's not so much an isolation, but rather there is someone that stands up, that walks with us, that journeys with us, that serves in ministry with us, right? Paul had that, he had a Barnabas that stood up for him, and a Timothy, right? Someone that Paul invested into. And what we see, the dear friend Gaius, there's many people that you see in the early church in scripture that they say, this is my spiritual father, right? People that invested into their lives, someone that you invest into, right? Surprisingly, as you do that, you'll realize how much they actually speak to you, right? But these three types of relationships has brought together this, for me, of just when he says, my dear friend Gaius, the understanding that the first joy is that the gospel brings people together. The gospel brings people together. Imagine with Paul and Barnabas as he's kind of brought together as he was <clears throat> early on in the church, that he was a persecutor of Christians, someone that, you know, that people feared, someone that people ran away from, someone that was perhaps knows a lot and just spoke in, in kind of authority, in status, that people avoided, you know, people were fearful of. But that Barnabas, as he stood with Paul, they went on a missions, mission, like missional journeys all around. They established churches. They went, and he became, his name is the son of encourager, right? I just imagine for these people, the spectrum of how the gospel has brought them together, right? How the gospel has brought them together, not just as I know you, but as brothers, as friends, as people that journey together. And I'm sure they had their ups and downs, and you see that. They had a disagreement, but yet the gospel drew them together, right? You see Paul later on having writing to Philemon and about a slave Onesimus, just think about his relationship, Paul's relationships with all these different types of people from all backgrounds. And I think about that, especially for today, as, as we talk about an anniversary service, about all of us joining together on this journey, that there's people that have come, that have also left, but that we are drawn together because the gospel, the gospel brings us together, right? 
And every so often as I reflect upon this, I realize that God has brought a lot of great people into my life. People that perhaps normally I would not have gone to know, but yet people that I care dearly for, people that care for me. And now that I've entered back into Stepping Stone a little bit and just gone to know some of the younger students, I realize, man, this spectrum has grown larger. That it is hard to actually get to know college students, but now I have an opportunity to get to know 18-year-olds as much as I am getting to know, hopefully, older people. But that one thing holds all of us together and draws me to kind of this understanding and love for one another is that how what John writes, what this author writes, my dear friend, how the gospel brings them together. And not only that, in this joy of relationships to highlight, but he brings up what brings them joy to, right? So in this, in relationship, he also speaks of the joy of faithfulness, right? These joys in the church. He says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in it, right? <clears throat> it speaks of this guy as a person that is faithful to the truth and continues to walk in it. Not just that he knows these truths, he knows what to believe or what is shared, what is spoken about, but how he walks in it, how he is faithful to it. You know, I, I think about this as what truths guide our lives. You know, he's faithful to the truth, but what truths guide our lives? Right, what are those things that kind of help us as we think and as we practice and functionally live out this life? You know, I know Jenny's in nursery, so she's not here right now, but she's watching. So, but one thing that we, we Jenny and I sometimes disagree on, and I looked it up this time around, and so, and I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong many times, right? Is this idea that uh, when the kids, because I love to watch TV and especially sports on a big screen TV, and one of the things that we disagree upon is how, where, and where the kids should sit when the TV is on, right? And there was a time where she had the kids sit, if you know, are, are set up all the way in the dining room to watch TV because it's, it's really big. And I love it, right? But for me, I'm like, I sit there and I'm like, oh, this is perfectly fine. But one of the things that I want to bring up is that, you know, I think so much is about, like, when you, for her, one of the truth is that watching TV this close will hurt your eyes or be not good. You're too stimulated. But at least, and that might be all true. You might be too stimulated. But at least I know that watching TV close from some articles that I was kind of looking into, that it perhaps, and I can't prove it, perhaps is a myth that sitting too close to the TV is bad for your eyes, right? And I looked up this, and it's in Mayo Clinic, it's at other places too, so I'm hoping that it's true. But it's, I bring it up as a joke, because I think, what are the truths that guide our lives? What are the things that we, we believe and know that we're kind of like, no, no, I'm going to do this because I know this? Because I know this, I'm going to do that. I think there's so many, if we take a step back, we ask ourselves, what truths has perhaps our parents spoken to us, our friends, this culture, 
our work. You know, as, as I speak to college students, <clears throat> I realize it's just so much as they're so driven. And that's, you know, a good thing and also a tough thing. You know, about how they speak about college. And, and perhaps now Facebook targets me and knows what I'm speaking about because it's, you know, it's listening. But sometimes it brings up this idea of like, oh, these, this ad about, um, not ads, but people about, oh, how this person got in, what their backgrounds are, and they just tell you all these stats. And I'm just like, man, these are, this is crazy. You know, how one person wrote a book in high school, and I'm just thinking, I was just running in circles outside and playing basketball. But there are students writing books, published, making, having companies that serve 50,000 people. But it is sometimes with these ads, it affects me. I'm just thinking, man, what does that look like to provide for my family, to provide the resources and this, you know, the experience, the extracurricular? But at the same time, asking myself, how do I not be driven just by that? Because the truth is, it, it matters, yet at the same time in life, does it really matter? Is it going to determine for my kids what their life will look like? It might affect it greatly, but is it what I'm truly valuing, and how do I speak to them about that? You know, I, as I <clears throat> read CNN every so often, or actually every day, um, there's an article that, that stood out. You know, there's, you know, usually it's just the punchline, and it says a hospital chaplain has counseled thousands of dying patients. Here's what he has learned. Right? And I was like, oh, interesting. I'll just click on it. Right? And, and, you know, I read through you know, this article. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm more interested in wanting to read just what he's experienced, what he shares about. But he said one thing, and that really resonated with me, at least. He says one common regret that he hears uh, in hospice care is that he hears people saying, I regret I only did what everyone else wanted, not what I want. And I think this truth for me resonates because I, I live so much of my life in this truth of trying to have my parents' approval of what would they want me to do. What would they be pleased about? And not necessarily what is God and what is this relationship that we speak on, of who he is, this new life that he has given me, what does that look like? And I realized as I took that step and I <clears throat> into ministry and over these years, and especially towards the end of my dad's life, that he also realized that it is not what he wanted, but that I, he sees that I'm satisfied, I'm provided for, and in that way that he was satisfied. But so much of my life <clears throat> prior to this has been what would my dad want me to do? And this regret is resonating throughout many people that this chaplain has spoken to, has shared with. And I just realized when we, when in this, when this author says, you know, faithfulness in the truth, that is a challenge. What are the truths that guide your life, my life? That if it is true, then what? If it is true, then what? Because I, <clears throat> this is a, a Gallup poll that they 
show that how important, the question is how important would you say religion is in your own life? Very important, fairly important, or not very important? And from the 1982, okay, or, yeah, 1992, sorry, to 2022, you see that it's been just at least a trend of going downwards of not very important. You know, I think about this because I think when it is about a religion, it isn't very important. When it's about a duty, what we should be doing, what we need to do, rather what the truth, faithfulness in truth is, when it's before a person, a God, a Father, a Heavenly Father, that it becomes so different. Do you know the story of the prodigal son I'm not going <clears throat> too much into is that the younger son, as he returns back, as he's thinking about his father, he's thinking, no, my father, I'm going to return as a servant. He's coming up with his ideas of what he would share. And he would say to him and say, hey, I've fallen, I've sinned, take me back as your servant. But what he experiences of the father in this parable is that the father runs to him, hugs him, and gives him a robe. Right? He is imagining trying to ask for forgiveness, but rather Jesus is presenting a father that runs after, that is looking and waiting for the return of his son. I wonder how often we're thinking about our responsibilities as a Christian, our duties, what we have to do, versus no, this is a God, our father, that loves us, that has given us new life, that wants the best for us, that we're living out this truth, that it is not, what do I have to sacrifice? But no, what am I gaining in this life with God? That it is so much more than what we feel like what we give up, but rather what we really obtain, this eternal life, not just in the future, but right now in this relationship with the Father. Because it isn't also, I want to say, one decision. When he says continue to walk in, oftentimes it is a continuation, a daily choice, a choice to follow, a choice to hear, to listen, to respond, a choice to see how God loves and as we see that, how we respond. Do you know, as this person, Gaius, as he's walking in that, in that as he's living that out, this joy and faithfulness, of faithfulness, what happens is that it blesses those around him, right? It says that <clears throat> some believers came and testified of, of God, his faithfulness and how he continues to walk in this truth. That not only is it just about so much, what do I get, why do I have to do, but rather, as God the Father, as he gives us new life, as, he, as we live out this life and we see that it is full, that it is good, that it is not without pain or sorrow, that's not what he promises, but that he promised that he would comfort and walk with us. That in those ways that we see that we are never alone, that that would also bless those all around us. In this specific passage, okay. <clears throat> it says of what he's faithful to, right? Uh, one, one example of it. He says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing to the, for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. 
And these strangers, they have told the church about your love. Right? It continues on. It says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Right? That he was showing this love. He was practicing hospitality in such a way right, <clears throat> that people would speak of, people were experiencing, people were in his house that were, they were able to see, and even people he did not know. He didn't know, but he believed, he, kn he knew that they were working for the gospel. That is how the first even joy in the relationship, this idea that the gospel brings people together. Gaius is a, is a <clears throat> as I studied this passage, is a very popular name. But I wonder, and he's mentioned throughout other parts of scripture, but one that stood out to me that I feel like it speaks of this same person, perhaps, is in Romans 16, verse 23. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I, Paul, and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. You know, I don't know if it's exactly the same person, but we know from, the, <clears throat> from our primary text that right now he is practicing hospitality. And in this way, in, for this person, this hospitality that the whole church, that people are experiencing, are blessed and seen and known, know of. You know, I, <clears throat> this idea of hospitality has been amazing for me. You know, it's challenged me in my own life, challenged me in how I wanted to live, Part of, <clears throat> part of when I, my experience in seminary, I, I did seminary part-time. I would fly in to Chicago and I would take a class over the weekend. And sometimes I would fly into Ohio and I would take classes. But there was a person that I met and I happened to be a plus one to Jenny's trip, work trip, right? And she went on a trip to Israel and I said, no, you can't go without me, right? And so I was like, please take me. You know, and so I was, I'll pay for my own ride, everything else. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you could, you could add a plus one. So I went on this plus one trip, and it was amazing. We got to see the, the, the Holy Land and kind of go trip. But part of the group that was invited were uh, people from all around. And there were leaders in Christian faith that, that worked with Jenny or that, that is the same kind of line of work um, all throughout. And I met this one person that was a, a publisher that he was <clears throat> kind of reading. That's, that's his... You know, he was an editor. He looks through all the different new books coming up. And I was just, you know, sitting next to him here and there. You know, I'm a nobody. I'm just a plus one, kind of just sitting next to whoever wants to sit next to me, talking to people. And as I was talking to him, you know, he was just really kind to me. We we're just talking and, and getting to know each other. You know, he enjoyed coffee. And I was like, yeah, I'll go get coffee. And we walked around Jerusalem. We got some coffee. And over this, after, at the end of the trip, and we we're talking, and I was like, oh, yeah, I go to Chicago every so often. He goes, hey, hey, my, my parents own a condo in Chicago. And he's, he lives in Chicago, this man. He says, my parents own a, a condo in Chicago. They're about to retire in there, but right now, no one lives there. Right? They just come in and come out. They use this place. They like to bless missionaries with it. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're coming in town, let me know. Right? And I just thought, oh, you know, he's just saying something nice to me. And then three weeks later, I was like, oh, I'm going to go on. Let me just, you know, let me just see if he's free. And I email him and I say, hey, I'm coming into town. You know, you mentioned this. Is it possible I could just, you know, stay at this place? Right? And he's like, yeah, no problem. You know, he talks to me and then we, we grab some quick lunch. And he's like, here, 
you know, after this lunch, I mean, he's, granted, he's only known me for two weeks, okay, from this trip. He talks to me, and he's like, oh, yeah, here, here are the keys to my, my parents' place. You know, just make sure you have it cleaned up, you know, and, and let it be a blessing to you. And I go to the place, and I walk in, and it looks like this. You know, it's like a high-rise luxury condo overseeing the lake. And I was just like, what? It's a two-bedroom. And he's like, yeah, yeah, just make yourself at home. You know, I'm only going in. I leave at 5 in the morning to, to like, escape rush hour traffic in Chicago. And afterwards, I come back late. But, man, I was like, this is so comfortable. Do you know? And I was just so blown away by his hospitality and his parents whom had never met me, that they would just give me keys to their place and say, hey, let it be a blessing to you. Let it be a place where you can go, and when you go to seminary, stay here. And for most of my time, when I went to Chicago, I stayed at this place. And likewise, in Ohio, when I went to seminary there for a satellite, Richard and I and many others, we met other people there that were like, hey, you can always stay with us here. And for, for a seminary student, that's great. It saves us our, our finances, everything else. But more than that, we got to make new relationships. We got to, get, we got to know them, know their heart for the ministries, what, they, what they're about, who they are. And I realize more and more, as, as, what does that look like when the truths in our lives, when we talk about love, when we talk about forgiveness or grace, or care, or justice, whatever it might be that Jesus speaks on, when that truth becomes how we live. In this way, for this person and these families, that they practice hospitality just because they had the opportunity and availability, the means to do so. You know, there is something about that. There is something that I will never forget that I <clears throat> email them and try to catch up with them of just how they bless my life. And beyond that, I hope that they would bless others through me and just through their interactions with, I'm sure, countless people. That faithfulness, the joys in the church, the joys of faithfulness is that people see testify, taste, and see God in it. That there's joy in this relationship and joy in, of faithfulness. And lastly, just want to bring up the joy of discipleship. He mentions here, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, at the very end of this <clears throat> letter, he writes, there's so much I want to write to you, but I want to speak to you face to face, right? But he has this heart that he views Gaius as his children, his child, as a spiritual father, and that it brings them no greater joy than to hear that they're walking in the truth. That is something that's challenging, but yet at the same time, something that I pray that I can see. Right? I know for myself as a pastor, there's always a stigma of pastors, kids, how they should live, what they should do. And 
Frankly, for me, because I grew outside of the church, I had never experienced that for myself. But there would be no greater joy for me to see them, God willing, if I could live enough, long enough, to see them walking in the truth. Not just to know the truth, to know these stories, but to walk in the truth. That the people would speak of their faithfulness, their love for God, and that to me would bring so much joy. You know, I think when we speak of these children in our lives, I wonder <clears throat> what that looks like at the same time in our church too, for each one of us, that we would be able to say, these children of mine, the people that I am a spiritual father, mother to, that I care dearly for, that I want to keep in these relationships here of, that that joy would be experienced by each one of us here. You know, I didn't talk so much about Paul and Timothy in this type of relationship, but that is exactly to me what I see. You know, in other parts of the letter, Paul writes about how he knows, you know, Timothy's stomach or what he's asking Timothy to bring. There's this intimacy, this relationship of knowing how they're doing, what they're going through. I wonder, I pray, and I challenge for us as a church, what would that look like? What would that look like to have investments just like that of people that we would pour into. As we talk about <clears throat> now planting and growing roots here in Catonsville, as we reach out to this community, what does it look like to throw away, to push aside the hindrances, the things that perhaps hold us back from getting to know people, and to be able to see how the gospel will draw people together, how the gospel will bring people together to love one another, to live beyond what we imagine or what we think we can do, but to see how the Spirit enables, to see how God gives us this privilege and blessing of a family, of a church family. You know, I, <clears throat> I, when I was working on this message, I, I happen to use a, a software that kind of has all my um, commentaries together. And one of the things that pops up is kind of like, what happened on this day? Right? And it happened to be um, September 19th. Right? And I was looking at this, and then it, one of the, again, these headlines get, capture me. Um, but it says, like, September 19th, this is the day uh, in 1853 that Hudson Taylor, he sails for China. Right, and I, I think about this because I, you know, I, then I start looking more into of just how much and what impact this man, as he took a step of faith, as he followed and went, spent 51 years in China, and was responsible, at least for, I'm, I mean, I, I didn't fact check everything, responsible to bring over 800, 800 missionaries to China, that started 125 schools, and more than. 18,000 Christians back then, right? I wonder, you know, when you see this, <clears throat> what that impact of investing into people with our whole lives, what that would look like. 
You know, I know for me, Pastor Roger, the founder of this church, you know, I think about him and, and just how much he, you know, we saw, I saw this video of what a lot of the fruits of the ministry is through his faithfulness and his work here. You know, and, and one message that I, he shared in, when I was in college was he brought the idea of just what would it look like when we enter heaven? Would we know people there? I mean, I remember this message because, um, you know, I think it's one of those vivid messages that he said, you know, that, that made me think when you enter, when I enter into heaven and not just my own relationship with God. And for those of you who know me over when I was in college and even afterwards early, you know, I just, it, it was I was, I was poor with relationships, you know. I remember thinking, oh yeah, you know, as long as my relationship with God is good, then everything else is fine. You know, and throughout these years, I've been realizing the importance of friendships, of in relationships, of community. But when he brought that up and just brought up, what would it look like when, you, when I, if I were to enter heaven, would there be people that would come up and I don't even know if this will happen. But would there be people that would say thank you? That would, that would acknowledge? That would see what? what? Man, I, just... Man, I haven't been crying for a long time, so I really am. Like, I, I usually don't. <clears throat> but that would see and acknowledge just what God has done through your life, through my life, that they would see and celebrate and worship together. What joy would that bring to celebrate at that moment and to know just what God has done what we've been a part of, how we joined it, that it was not a duty, it is not a responsibility, but that it was a joy, that it was a relationship, that it was pouring in, knowing that the day that our lives stop here, that in heaven, that there will be people we know I realize that more and more of what impact and we will make. You know, the, the slideshow, <clears throat> the, the video ended, what next? And I think that is the question of how we live out our lives at this moment of what would that be? What do we want it to be? What truths are guiding our daily, weekly, monthly, yearly choices what are those truths that anchor us that helps us when we feel weak what are those and i would say for those followers of christ that when we know him
beyond what he tells us what to do. But when we hear and know his voice, that there is so much power and richness to walking with him. That this joy in the church doesn't just end with you, but continues and reverberates all around us. That as we end today in the joys in this church, that we think about that there are joys in this, our relationship with Christ of how that matters to relationships all around us. That it is not so much I just know this person, but rather what does it look like to extend that hospitality, to extend that life? And this challenges us from those who are new visitors all the way to those who are leaders of this church, even more so, of what that hospitality extension, that love that we will see, that then we would participate and experience the joy of relationships, that God has called us brothers together as brothers and sisters. And that comes both ways. It comes in a two-way street that isn't so much of just one-sided, but it comes both ways. To experience the faithfulness of how, when we continue to walk with him, that those around us will testify to his goodness and likewise that we will testify to who he is. And lastly, when we experience the joy of discipleship, that we would have people like Gaius or Timothy in our lives, that they would see, man, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being a part of my life. I pray that that would happen for us as we move forward from this past 10 years to the next, the next season that God has for us. As we pray, we're gonna go and enter into communion. If you guys could have your communion. I left a mine in the jacket. Um, I'll grab mine, sorry. Let's pray. Lord, all that we do and who we are is because of you. Lord, thank you, Lord, that we can take this bread and this cup in remembrance of you, Lord. In remembrance of your body broken for us. Remembrance of your covenant, your new covenant, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we take this, that we would taste and see and remember how we're called into this new life in remembrance of your son. That it is not an obligation but rather a celebration. Remind us that as we take of this bread and of this cup of who you are in our lives. Have that be, Lord, the truth that anchors us that if this is true, then what does that mean? Help us to live in those ways that people will be blessed and testify of your goodness. 
Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you would take broken people, messed up people like myself, and that you would draw us to you, Lord. That you would draw us to each other. That, Lord, that you would allow people to see your love through our love, Lord. So, Lord, thank you, Lord, for these past 10 years. And we lift up, Lord, the next season. May it be glorifying and honoring to you. May you be pleased and may people be blessed and loved. We do this because of what we do right now as we take communion in remembrance of you, of this life that you have given, that we may have life and life full. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you could take communion on your own and use this time of worship to offer up your words of prayer and, and to hear his voice for you.